Arizona. The petrified forest, petrified wood, Grand Canyon. As a young kid of about nine or 10, my family took a trip out to the West. They're living in Michigan. One of the little trinkets or gifts I was able to get was a piece of petrified wood. Petrified wood's a fossil. It forms when plant material is buried by sediment and protected from decay due to oxygen and organisms. But what I recognize about petrified wood both then and now is petrified wood wasn't gonna change. Petrified wood was stuck in the moment. Now I'm not a scientist, I'm not an archeologist, so I could be wrong about my diagnosis of the petrified wood. But symbolically petrified wood to me is resistance to change and unwillingness to change. And I recognize there are times in my life where I don't want to change. When things get moved around or reorganized at the house, I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable because everything's not where I remember it being. I've got to reorient my brain. I got to find things again. I don't like the change. I get annoyed. My wife can tell you about that. I'll grumble and complain, just did the other night, because things were moved around, cleaner, better, organized, but it was change. Something that has been on my mind for myself is why is it that if God is so incredibly powerful, if God is so real, if God is the God of the universe, if God is the God who created the world, if God is who manifests miracles in both the Old and New Testaments. If God raised Jesus from the dead, then why can't I change? Why can't Christians change? I've had people ask me that question. If what you believe is so true, then why is it that so many Christians I know are not being any more successful than I am at changing? Why are they getting divorced? Why are they falling apart and crumbling under stress and pressure? If your God is so special, then why can't you and your people make the changes they need to make? Why can't they conquer? Why can't they overcome? You know what? All of those thoughts led to this episode of Russ Off the Cuff called The Power of Change. I hope you enjoy it. And the first thing I want to examine is how can God be real if Christians won't talk about change? Now, this isn't just for people who believe in God. This is for anybody. But I think one of the things that probably is more relevant to people who believe in God or don't believe in God is if God is so special, if God is so incredible, then why don't Christians have an advantage? Now, we know if we study the Bible, it says that Christians can't expect to be treated better, that God's going to let the rain fall on the evil, the wicked, and the good. At the same time, God says so many things about, I will be with you. And so if God is incredible, God is powerful, God can resurrect Jesus. If God can do all these things, then why, why can't we change anything? Why are there any limits to what we can change? And what I recognize today is it's very easy to not think about Christianity being about change. In fact, it's occurred to me 
that we need to redefine our view of the gospel. We need to redefine our view of Jesus. We need to redefine our view of God. We need to redefine our view of the Holy Spirit and start asking serious questions about is the miracle of today that God wants to do the miracle of our lives, the miracle of constant change, the miracle of being able to change what others around us are not able to change. And let's begin with a question. How can God be real if Christians won't talk about change? You know, one of the first steps to changing is we've got to be willing to talk about it. In Mark 6 and verse 7, And he called the twelve disciples, this is Jesus, and began to send them out as his special messengers, two by two, and gave them authority and power over the unclean spirits. He told them to take nothing for the journey except a mere walking stick, no bread, no traveler's bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals. And he told them not to wear two tunics. That's the New Living Translation of Mark 6, 7 through 9. He sends a special messengers. I remember Calvin Crowley. Some of you may know Cecilia Coyne. That's her dad. He went on up to heaven not that long ago. But I remember when he was studying to become a Christian, he wanted to learn about God. He wanted to know God. He had a lot of friends surrounding him. Of course, he had the Quinn family surrounding him. He had a lot of family surrounding him. And I had said to Cecilia, yeah, sure, I will get with, you know, Calvin and, and talk and help if I can, sharing my faith and listening. And the appointment landed when on, on the University of Michigan basketball game. I think they were in the final eight or the elite eight of the March Madness tournament. And I was like, uh-oh, you know, thought about canceling that for all of zero seconds. And I went, well, just not going to be watching that game. This is more important. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if we spent two hours, three hours together, but to sit and hear Calvin's life, he was in his late 80s, early 90s at the time, to hear his life and what he had been through and what he had come to was incredible. And it, it made me realize as he was making changes at his late age, and genuine changes, visible changes, mind and heart, changes that impacted family and friends and people like me who were just beginning to know him. What impacted me is that it was powerful. The first thing I think we've got to be willing to talk about as we talk about change and start talking about change, start talking to each other about what do you want to be, where do you want to be, how do you want to get there, and what obstacle stands in your way that you can attack with tenacity, spiritual tenacity to change. And as you hear that, I want you to remember when Jesus sent out his messengers, he gave them authority and power over the unclean spirits. Now, a lot of people get preoccupied with the unclean spirits. I'm preoccupied with the power. The Bible is teaching us that Jesus, and this is all over the Bible, not just for the apostles, not just for the early disciples, for every Christian, he gives us power to conquer. Our faith accesses power to conquer. And the first thing you realize is we have a gospel of power. How can God be real if Christians won't talk about change? Well, we won't talk about change because we don't really believe in the power. Calvin Crowley believed in the power. The power of God to change him. And so in late in the 80s, early 90s, he was, he was getting about the business of change. 
How many of us think, man, I'm old, I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60, I can't change anymore. I am who I am. A lot of times people that believe in social science, psychology, and science will say, we pretty much are going to be who we are. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a gospel of power that you can make continual changes. And you know what's interesting about my conversation with Calvin? He said, you know, I got a nickname for you. I said, what's your nickname? He goes, the messenger. I said, why is your nickname for me the messenger? He goes, because, ma'am, you, 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 ha- you bring a great message. It's really inspired me. Of course, that encouraged me. But you know what the message he was inspired by was? It was the message of the gospel of power. Do you believe in the gospel of power? Do you believe that God endows us with power and that that power allows us to change anything we want? Let's go to the next thing, the gospel of action. See, we won't talk about change if we don't believe in the gospel of power. And we won't talk about change if we don't believe in the gospel of action. How can God be real? If Christians can't change, and how can he be real if we won't talk about change? And Mark 6 continuing, and he told them, wherever you go, remember he's sending out these messengers. He's telling them, I'm going to give you power, and he's sending out the messengers. And he told them, wherever you go into a house, stay there until you leave that town. Any place that does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them, breaking all ties with them because they rejected my message. He says, I want you to go. He says, you're going to be my messengers and I'm going to give you power, but I don't want you hanging around here just experimenting with power. I don't want you turning this into a club, an insider's club, an insider's group where it's just about us. He says, we got things to do. You need to go. You know, not only is it a gospel of power, it's a gospel of action. One of the most difficult and challenging aspects of being in a church or being a member of a church is before you know it, everything is about being a member. Nothing is about action. It's all about what we do on the interior, how we interact with each other, what we think of each other, how we feel about each other. And yet Jesus said, no, we're not going to sit around here and talk about how we feel about each other. We're going to go. And then if we run into rejection, we're going to keep going. He said, first, we're going to go. And then if people don't like it and don't want to be around us, that's fine. Shake the dust off our feet and we keep on moving. It's a going gospel. It's a gospel of action. It's a gospel of power, meaning that God gives us power, but it's a gospel of action that we go, we do things, we change the world. And we, and if, even if we get rejected, we just, we shake that dust off our feet and we keep on going. It's a gospel of power. It's a gospel of action and a gospel of power and a gospel of action. How can we not talk about change when we've got a gospel of power and a gospel of action and we've got a gospel of change? It's a gospel of power, a gospel of action and a gospel of change. In Mark 6, we're continuing in the same passage. So they went out and preached that men should repent. Now, that's an interesting word. A lot of words in the Bible have entered the American lexicon as early as the 1700s in a significant way. And so we've used the word repent so much that we now think of it as an archaic word. We now think of it as a unre- an, an unrelatable word. We, we think of it as, as, a, as a burdensome word. We think of it in only in regards to sin, and, and, and we don't want to talk about sin because we feel that the word sin is basically about oppression of our positive feelings. And yet Jesus takes a very different point of view, and he says, so they went out and preached that men should repent. Now look at this, what he says. He, they went out and preached that men should repent, and I'm, I'm taking some um, um, amplified version here. That is, think differently, recognize sin, turn away from it, 
and live changed lives. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many who were sick and healing them. You know what's interesting here in the Amplified? That's why I chose to go to this for a minute. Is he, the Amplified, it amplifies, expresses more deeply what the word meant in the original languages. And it says here that Jesus said, I want you to preach repentance. And that is to think differently, to recognize sin, and live changed lives. It's a gospel of change. To think differently, to recognize sin, and to change lives. To think differently. To not think of sin as a grade, but to think of sin as an identification of the obstacle that is in your path to be the very best person you can be. To think differently. And with that positive view of how to take on sin, you recognize it. You acknowledge it because sin is the thing that stands in the way of change. Any change we want to make, there's a sin in the way. It's convincing us. It's deceiving us. It's discouraging us. It's guilting us out to keep us from even contemplating or planning change. Repentance is to think differently, to recognize sin, and to live changed lives. Now, when it says live changed lives, it's not talking about you change once. The gospel of change, the good news of change, let's think about it now. The good news of change, that's not about you get to have good news one day. Who has good news? Who's happy with one time in your whole life you get good news? And for many times, people become Christians. They think, okay, I got the good news. I became a Christian. I changed. And then they're done. Now, if that was cake, we wouldn't just want the cake on the day we get the cake. We want cake the next day. Then we make the cake the next day. We make some more cake and keep eating cake. Why? Because if it's good, you want a lot of it. Now, why is it if change is good, we only want a little? Just change me on the day I became a Christian and no change after that. that that's not what it's about. I'm just looking at this and I'm, I'm asking myself the question, Does it say what I really see? It's a gospel of power. It's a gospel of action. And it's a gospel of change. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, man, I agree 100%. I see it. I want some of that. And I want some of it, too. And you know what? At the beginning of our Christian lives, the change we make is easy. We do the easy things, the surfacey things. But later on, excuse me, later on, we got to change the hard things. We got to be able to get to the hard things. And that's when our faith is tested. When we're changing the easy things, let's say you, you were swearing up a storm and you change that. Sometimes that's not that hard to change. Just stop using those words. And also we can use them in our head, not use them with our mouth. So the question is, do we really change? But that's a whole nother discussion. But when you want a real change, you got to stay after it. And after you get done with the surfacey stuff, you got to go deep. It's a gospel of power, a gospel of action, and a gospel of change. How about that? We're talking about the power of change. But the power of change is useless to us if we won't talk about change. And we don't talk about change because we don't believe in the gospel of power, the gospel of action, and the gospel of change. We've got to change our view of the gospel That it isn't just about getting people to be members of churches. It's not just about getting people to get converted. It's not just about getting people to read the Bible and pray. All those things are part and parcel of changing our lives every day. You know, there's a great song 
If you think I can't change, I, I just don't have enough left in the tank. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough will. I don't have enough hope. I don't have enough faith. Well, if you're listening to the music version of this, you just take a listen to Enough, Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. Enjoy this tune because it'll help you step up, stand out, and overcome. I hope you enjoyed that song, and if you're listening to the non-music version, I hope you enjoy the thought of the song. <laughs> the power of change, that's what we're talking about. And I just want to let you know, this is an intro to it. We're going to be doing this. If you stay uh, involved with our live stream, uh, you're going to hear more of this. Uh, you may hear more of this on Russ Off the Cuff. Change, that's what we're going to be talking about, the power of change. Just digging in deep for, through the rest of the, end of, to the end of the year. How can God be real if Christians resist change? If it's a gospel of power, a gospel of action and a gospel of change, then if we as Christians say, I don't want to change, then how can it be real? And we may wonder, well, why isn't the world, look around the world, how much does the world admire Christianity? How much does this country admire and respect Christianity? How many people in this, this world think Christianity is weird and strange? They watch uh, somebody on TV and think that's a strange person because of the way they are. How do we make Christianity powerful, it's not by acting a certain way. It's by being able to change and grow and get better every day. You know, I was doing some work for my site to lead different at leaddiff.com. I just published an article about how to inspire, how to become an inspiring leader. And you can check that out at leaddiff.com. But one of the things I learned was one of my favorite uh, academics on management and leadership is Jim Collins. And he talked about Steve Jobs. He was referring to him after Steve Jobs' death, I believe it was. And he said, you know, he's a great loss. He goes, but the thing that most impressed me about what Steve Jobs did was himself. What impressed him was that Steve Jobs had changed himself from being a great builder of products to being a great builder of companies. You know, we have to understand that as Christians, if we resist change, we're basically resisting the opportunity God has to show through our lives how powerful he is. Luke 5, verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a man named Levi at his work collecting taxes. Levi was a tax collector. Jesus said, come along with me, and he did. Walked away from everything and went with him. How about that? Luke 5, 27, 32 message. Tax collectors, they were corrupt and they got a lot of money and they had a lot of money. And basically, when Jesus said, come, he just walked away from everything and followed him. Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there. So tax collectors not only were corrupt, got a lot of money, but they knew everybody and everybody knew them. In fact, it says here, everybody was there. Tax men and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner disreputable, disreputable guys, bad guys. Bunch of them were at the dinner with Jesus. So Jesus is out having a dinner, and who's he have dinner with? Rascals. Rascals. Sediment. Like the sediment that formed around that, that wood that made it petrified. Everybody was there. Taxmen and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religion scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. What is he doing? 
eating and drinking with crooks and sinners. That's why I wanted the message for this one. Jesus heard about it, spoke up. You know, Jesus didn't back down. He didn't back down. He's like, he heard about it, heard the, he heard the whispers. He heard the dog whistles. He said, hey, he heard about it, spoke up. He wasn't silent. He spoke up. Why? Jesus was a messenger of change. See, messengers of change stand up to the resistance. They resist the resistance. A Christian is growing and changing is not only going to grow and change. They're going to resist anyone who says don't change. Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to a changed life changed inside and out. He goes, look, you got these Pharisees and religious scholars. They are mad because things are changing. They don't like the change. Well, I got news for them. I didn't come here for people who think they don't need to change. I came here for people who think they do need to change. He said, does a doctor come for the healthy or the sick? They come for the sick. And if you don't think you're sick, then you're not somebody who has a need for me. If you think you're perfect, you got it together. You don't need to get better in your life. You don't need to get better in your mind. You don't need to get better in your heart. You don't need to become more disciplined. You don't need any areas of character that you need to grow in. You don't need to have a better parenting style or learn to be a better parent. You need to become more forgiving. If you just think, hey, I've reached the age of maturity where I'm like a fine wine. Just let me sit in the cellar and wait to grow in my value. That's not what Christianity is about. How can God be real if Christians resist change? How can anybody believe in a God where a Christian stays the same? I think that's one of the reasons there's a lot of animosity toward Christianity because it's turned into religiosity, which is we're members, we're insiders. We've got our group. You've got your group. We do our thing. We think we're better than you. If we walk around thinking we're better than people, we can never inspire them. And I'm talking about this because some people who are listening, they don't believe in God. And that is totally fine. What they need is faith, and their faith is going to come when they see us focusing more on changing our lives than judging their lives. Luke 5, 27, 32, the message, a messenger of change. That's who Jesus was. And when we run into the messenger of change, he's going to insist that we stop resisting change. Let's take a look here at our next thing. How can God be real if Christians can't or won't change? The power of change. We're going to close with that one. How can God be real if Christians can't or won't change? We've got to get open for change. Now, the passage we're going to look at here is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We've got to get open for change. What does that mean? We've got to start talking about change. In 2 Corinthians 3, 12, we have this hope, so we're very bold. The hope of change, I think. We have this hope, so we're very bold. We're not like Moses who put a covering over his face so the Israelites would not see it. The glory was disappearing and Moses did not want them to see it end. But their minds were closed, and even today that same covering hides the meaning when they read the old agreement. That covering is taken away, and only through Christ. You know, when Moses came down from the mountain talking to God, he put a veil over his face, and you know why he did it? He didn't want the Israelites to see that the agreement, the covenant, the Old Testament was one day going to end, that its glory was actually fading. You know, one of the reasons I think we stopped talking about change is we don't want anybody to see how much faith we've lost, how much hope we've lost, how much vision we've lost, how much we no longer believe that God will change the world. We no longer believe that God will use the church and the people of God's kingdom as a vehicle by which to change the world, a vehicle by which to bring hope. We're no longer open for change because we're no longer open to God being a God of change. We see the glory disappearing and we're trying to hold on to those glory days. 
We want to talk about yesterday's change. We want to talk about yesterday's growth. We want to talk about yesterday's victory. We want to hold on to the past because it's all we've got. But if God is real, shouldn't we be talking about today's change, today's growth, and today's victory? We need to be open for change. We need to decide to change. You know, one of the funny things about life is many times we think about change, but we never decide. One of the things I'm working on is a 52, 66, and 100-day plan for change. 52, based on the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah built the wall. 66, based on the research, the best I can find, that says it takes about 66 days of consistent uh, practice of a particular habit or change in order for it to stick. 100, because that's the number of days that FDR plotted when he became president of the United States to be able to transform things. He had a 100 days plan, which basically all presidents after have tried to have that. Many presidents, I think, maybe don't understand historically what he did. It wasn't a matter of being successful at all of his programs in the first 100 days. It was about creating the kind of action that produced hope in people that change would eventually come. No matter how you slice it, we have to decide to change. We have to start believing in change. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15, it says, Even today, when they read the Law of Moses, referring to the people who have a veil over their eyes to protect themselves and close off their mind, looking at the Scriptures and seeing hope for change, Even today, when they read the law of Moses, there's a covering over their minds. But when a person changes and follows the Lord, that covering is taken away. You know what? We're going to stop holding on to the past when we turn back to Jesus. Sometimes we have to turn back to Jesus. We turned to him originally, but then we turned away. We turned away. We got lost again. We lost our way. We lost our hope. We lost our faith. We lost our determination. We lost our grit. We lost our will. We have to decide to change. We have to say, you know what? If I'm not in the ground, buried, spirit heading to heaven, then there's still more for me to do here. And that veil, that covering, that cloud, that hiding, those dull eyes that have no vision are not going to change unless we turn hard to Jesus and get, oh yeah, Jesus, I forgot. It's a gospel of power, a gospel of action, and it's a gospel of change. And when we get there, then we can start talking about the power of change. Until we get these things I've talked about earlier, right? What good does it do to talk about power if we don't believe in change? The power to change. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Our faces then are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory, and we are being changed to be like him. This change in us brings ever greater glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know what he's saying in a nutshell? You've got a Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. A lot of people don't want to think about the spiritual aspects of Christianity. We want to think about the intellectual, how much we know about the Bible, how much we can repeat the Bible, how much we can turn to the scriptures, and those are all really good. But the power is in the Holy Spirit, which the scriptures teach goes into man. And when the Holy Spirit lives in us, there is no change that isn't possible. No change of mind, no change of heart. There's no change that's not possible. The impossibilities lie in our unwillingness to say Jesus came with a gospel of power, a gospel of action, and a gospel of change, and that we've got to make the kind of decisions that allow God to get into our lives and give us the power to change. When we take communion and we break the bread and we take the fruit of the vine, we celebrate Jesus, not only his death on the cross, but we celebrate resurrection power. And if resurrection power lives in us, as which scriptures teach, then why is it that we don't believe that any change is possible? Think about it. You can change your world. 
we together can change the world and make it a better place. And if you're listening to the music version of this, enjoy Change the World, Babyface, and Eric, Magic on the Guitar, Clapton. Thank you for investing in building what God is trying to do in the world. And uh, just as much as people give to their causes, uh, the cause of, of God and Christ is the most relevant, powerful, and important one. And if we make changes in our lives and we build up a church where people can come to experience and grow and break through uh, to get their change, uh, the world's going to be a better place. It's going to be a different place. There are six things I want to leave you with. They're very quick before we take contribution and uh, give it. If you're going to make changes, there's there's six things you got to really do. Number one, you got to have expectation. Basically, you have to nurture a holy dissatisfaction. You have to say, no, this isn't enough. I want more. Number two, you have to have vision. You have to have a mindset that says, what can one man do? And understand this, anything God wants him to do. What can one woman do? And understand this, anything God wants them to do. If you've given up on vision, then you've given up on God. You got to have number one, expectation, nurture a holy dissatisfaction. You have to have vision that you believe that God can do anything with you. He wants to do with you. And if you have big dreams in your head and your heart of things you think God wants you to do, that it's time to get the vision tablet out, start writing it down. Number three, get specific. That's what I've been doing. Getting very specific. Sit down and say, okay, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Not generally. I want to grow and being more emotionally strong. No. I'm going to be someone who never quits as I make my effort to fill in the blank because I'm emotionally strong. It has to be specific. Number four, it has to be measurable. You have to be able to every day, every week, see it and track it. And so if you can't break it down into measurable goals, for instance, if I'm going to get in shape, then I have to eat less and work out more. There's measurable goals. I start with one push up and I start with one less piece of cake. And then I go forward and I measure it and I can see it yet be measurable. If you don't have something that's measurable, you're not serious about change. Number five, incremental. I talked about 52, 66 and 100 days being targets. You can pick any one of those or make up your own and make room. The reason you need all those days is to make room for failures and setbacks. If you have a 52 day plan or a 66 day plan or a hundred day plan, if you blow it for 20 days, you're not out of the game. It's part of the process. It's incremental. You're moving step by step. Sometimes it's half a step. Sometimes it's a full step, but you're moving step by step. And finally, you got to get a calendar, get the calendar out. That's right. Get the calendar out. I had changes I've made in my life that have taken three years. I thought it was going to take three months took three years. I think when we start saying, no, I want it now. Now that's uh, something you order at a fast food restaurant. Change takes as long as change takes. Thank you for spending time with us. As you take a contribution, I hope you'll consider this oldie, but goodie, the Winans. Some of you may remember them. They're a gospel group. They had a great song. I used to actually sing it all the time and listen to it all the time. It's called tomorrow. You know what? As you leave here today, I want you to be in a good mood. I want you to be happy. This is Russ Off the Cuff. You can find my writing at leaddiff.com. You can find the church, Bayer Christian Church, at bacc.cc. 
And if you're not interested in any of those, then just keep listening. If you're not interested in church, eh, keep listening anyway. I won't always do these on Russ Off the Cuff, but if I do, take a look, give it a shot. But for those of us who believe in God, tomorrow's never a good idea. Rocky Three says that there is no tomorrow. That's what Apollo said to Rocky Creed. Don't wait till tomorrow to get started. Make your plan for change today. Thanks for listening. Make sure you uh, took that communion, took that contribution. This is Russ Off the Cuff. Have a good day.